Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Connie, can I have some alarm bells? All right, it's Friday, July 10th, and you're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. I'm joined by Chris Hummer. Chris, we have breaking news. And as we record this on Thursday afternoon, sorry, Thursday evening, we hope that we can get to all of it before something breaks again by the time we go to bed. But where are we right now? Right now, we are at the Big Ten announcing that it is going to conference-only action in 2020, and we expect this to have a ripple effect on the rest of the Power Five conferences. We expect the ACC and the Pac-12 in the next few days to announce that, and we probably think that the SEC and the Big 12 are going to follow suit, though they might be today denying that they have any intent on doing that. So this is, this is quite a lot, Chris. Yeah, this this kind of feels like you remember that kind of couple of days in mid March around the conference tournaments for basketball. We kind of just saw one domino fall, and then the rest of them followed suit quickly after. The first time that was the Ivy League, and I don't really think any of us expected the Ivy League to have the same kind of impact on college football that it did on college basketball. It's a totally different situation, but I think again we're seeing kind of the Ivy League set the pace. And today, kind of to the surprise of more than a few conferences, the Big Ten went ahead and essentially announced its plans to uh, go conference-only football in 2020. Um, This is something that's been on the table for a long time. Uh, 24-7 Sports, myself, Brandon Marcello, and Bud Elliott had a story in April talking about that as arguably the first contingency plan. You knock off a couple games, and then you kind of give yourself more flexibility in the fall. I think this is just kind of the first step, but it's a huge step when you talk about the 2020 season and the college football landscape as a whole, because there are so many games that are now either canceled or up in the air kind of heading into the year. Yeah. It feels surreal that we're talking about something we've been waiting for four months with a sense of dread. We have, we're talking about right now, canceled games, a shortened season. And yet in the daily mayhem that is covering college football in the COVID-19 era, this kind of just feels like a normal storyline. And maybe in a few weeks, we're going to look back on that and be like, wow, remember the day the Big Ten announced it wasn't going to have Ohio State play Oregon or have Michigan play Washington or have all these other great non-conference games that were on tap. For now, it just feels like you're right. One of the fallen dominoes and something that's going to be a precursor. I had Brandon Marcello on this podcast yesterday and we did not think you know, his reporting, we did not think the Ivy League was going to uh, set into motion anything regarding college football. Now, we don't know that the Big Ten was like, oh, the Ivy League did this. We're going to do it now. But the timing is uncanny. And coming a day after, it does, I mean, it was a massive surprise. And Brandon Marcello reported uh, this afternoon, Thursday afternoon, that the SEC was totally caught off guard. And that they're going to now soon, because of the Big Ten, 
sort of rally the troops and and have their own meeting about are they going to have to follow suit? But I wonder if the Big Ten, if sort of every other conference who, I mean, they have this Autonomy 5 meeting, they have the Big Ten and everyone else talk almost daily. I'm trying to figure out how everyone else would have been caught so off guard and whether the Big Ten just went rogue here. Trey, I I don't think it's necessarily the Big Ten going rogue. These discussions about this kind of contingency plan have been happening for a long time, and the Power Five leagues have been talking to each other about this possible contingency plan. What I think was the roguish element in a way was the Big Ten announcing more quickly and ahead of some of the other leagues before the other leagues were ready. Um, As I understand, kind of the idea was to hold off as long as possible, or at least until a reasonable amount of time into July to give kind of the leagues as much time and as good of a picture and as clear of a picture as possible. The big 10 making this move has a lot of layers to it. I think, I think for the conference as a whole, it's kind of a, it's a bit of a PR play at the same time. I know this is probably going to happen regardless, but being first on this is not going to hurt anybody in the big 10 in the future, especially when you can consider kind of the makeup of some of those institutions and how important academics is in the big 10. Um, given the presidents in that league, this move makes sense. And there is going to be kind of a follow the leader aspect with the other conferences if you kind of examine what happened. But like, I don't think this move is necessarily out of lockstep with everybody else. I just think maybe um, if you're running a cross-country race and you got your guys kind of trailing each other and kind of working together, the Big Ten kind of pulled ahead and finished ahead of the other people and kind of got the thing out of order. I don't know how many people here are good with cross-country metaphors, but yeah, like I don't think I don't think the Big Ten's totally out of order, and I think everybody is going to follow suit. But this was a surprise, just that it came today. If that makes sense, do we think every other Power Five school is going to follow or conference is going to follow suit? I would be shocked if every other Power Five conference did not follow suit. Did not? I think it does not. Yeah, I think yeah, okay. I think the SEC is going to talk a really big game over the next week, maybe the next week or two, about wanting to play a full twelve game schedule. I think the group of five schools especially will lobby these larger conferences to play those games. They need this money. This is going to be a tremendous blow. I believe um, our national desk earlier had a story in which the Mac alone, just by losing Big Ten games, is set to lose around $25 million this year just because of those games being off the table. So that's kind of an example of what this is going to look like with the group of five. So you're going to see those schools kind of push these leagues to kind of keep it there. But I just, given where the country is at right now, I would be very surprised if we had anything but a conference only schedule in 2020. And I think it might be an abbreviated conference only schedule in 2020. Interesting. I have a few more macro level things I want to ask you about, but one more drill down question before we get there. You had an interesting story up earlier on Notre Dame. You made some calls. Obviously Notre Dame is an independent school. It does have some ACC connections. It has six conference games or six games against ACC foes. In 2020, on the schedule, ACC or Notre Dame plays in the ACC for every other sport, and it sort of has a, a friendly relationship. In football, Chris, what do you think Notre Dame is going to do uh, as it looks to fill out its schedule? Yeah, Notre Dame is. I think with all of this going on, Notre Dame is the most compelling player in the country. Not necessarily in terms of the power structure, and their athletic director John Swarbrick has been a part of all these discussions. But in terms of kind of where they sit in the college football landscape. Notre Dame is the biggest independent in the country. They're pretty much the only independent in the country that can carry their own water from a scheduling perspective and still expect to compete to the playoff. But 
talking to people kind of around Notre Dame, I fully expect them to be essentially an adjunct ACC member in 2020. I think they're going to play a completely full ACC schedule. They already have six games set up for 2020. Uh, if they go to an eight or 10 game model, it makes a lot of sense for Notre Dame to just add two games to that slate. As for Notre Dame's status, like within the ACC championship race or something like that, I don't have a lot of details there. I asked the ACC for comment and said they didn't have anything to say at this time, but it's just going to be now really- that's hold on. Now that's really compelling. And yeah. I, I, I was, I was intrigued when you wrote that. I have to imagine every other ACC football program would say absolutely not. Like, oh yeah, why don't you, you just think join Matt Brown? You think yeah. Davo Sweeney? Like the the guys who are probably going to be in Charlotte are cool. Like they're they're cool with Notre Dame coming to crash at their place if they need to, but they're not going to give Notre <laughs> Dame all their food. There's no way. Notre Dame would be the friend that eats all your chips and just doesn't say anything while crashing on your couch, but it kind of stays a few extra days. I, yeah. I just, I, that's a, that's, it's certainly intriguing. I, 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 I would just say, can't imagine that. I would say just logically though, if you're the ACC and I'm not saying this is going to happen, I, I don't know. And I think very few parties in this circumstance actually do know right now, but if you're the ACC and you're trying to put that carrot out there for Notre Dame to join your conference from a football perspective, full time, which the ACC would happily have happen anytime Notre Dame wanted to make it happen. That's a pretty good one in 2020. And it's a nice bit of like, Hey, see what we can do for you. And I would be, I don't, I would probably lean towards this not happening. Cause you said the reaction for the rest of the conference is going to be very, very bad, but I'd be very intrigued to know what Notre Dame would do. Let's say if they do end up in the ACC championship game and see kind of the path towards the uh, playoff, uh, where you don't necessarily have to go perfect every regular season. I think it's a very compelling aspect of Notre Dame's story. I, as you said, I would not expect them to be a part of that conversation this year in the ACC title race, but um, this is certainly one domino that could happen well into the future that's kind of a product of this pandemic and this particular situation. So we know, we know all these conferences are going to end up just playing conference-only games. So let's say you're a Big 12 team. Let's say you're Oklahoma. You've got nine Big 12 games on the schedule. Do you think they play more than nine or fewer than nine? Fewer. Okay. Yeah, I would, I'd be very surprised if we have 10 or 12 game schedules this year. Maybe I, I, there's been a lot of conversation around it. I think maybe something like an eight-game schedule makes sense. Then you could play your championship games and keep that revenue if you needed to. But I think... I think we're going to see a lot of cancellations this year, and I would be very surprised if we saw anywhere close to a full kind of schedule. So I saw Michigan took its schedule off its website. Makes sense. They're not playing conference or non-conference games. They're not going to play Washington in week one in Seattle. I would expect now the next month, the stories to be a reshifting of the schedule. Because look, you take away non-conference games, common sense would tell you that buys you three weeks. Well, Louisville goes to Clemson week two. I can't imagine that that game is going to happen on week two while no other games are happening. You know what I mean? If if there's it. So I, I would, I would think that I would, I would think that you're going to see all of these games move back to late September and October, as far as the earliest they would start rather than them saying, okay, Clemson and Louisville, we're actually moving you up to week one. We think a pushback's coming, correct? I actually think there's two lines of thought with that, and I've heard 
both kind of arguments. The first line of thought is you just, you give yourself as much time as possible to start the season. You hope the numbers in terms of positivity rates go down nationally and you hope testing capacity goes up to not only be able to allow yourself to do these tests cheaper and to keep these people safe, but to essentially um, give yourself more time for everything to kind of coalesce and get a better plan together. But I still think there's this idea out there and we're seeing this for universities. They're shutting down essentially Thanksgiving week for the semester. There's this idea out there that if you can get everything in before kind of that time period and avoid a winter spike, which scientifically is not like proven, but there's a thought that we might see an increase when people are indoors more in the winter. Also, if you stay in school during kind of the winter and play football there, you're risking your students have to travel back home for uh, the holidays and then come back to campus, which exposes a lot of people around championship time. So I could see a scenario where everything gets moved up and they try to start on time with the intent of ending the season before Thanksgiving and then maybe giving yourself a little space before potential bowls or the playoff, which is still a really huge moneymaker for college football. So I think both of those ideas right now are being tossed around. And I don't think either plan is kind of ahead of the other as people kind of consider their options. Mm. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about what this means for the college football playoff and whether we are more optimistic or pessimistic today about us actually playing this fall. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, we're back. Trey Scott joined by Chris Hummer. So... I actually feel like this, this is not fun news. I'm going to, I'm really going to be sad that in week two, Ohio State's not playing Oregon and a few other non-conference games. And, you know, as this applies to every single non-conference game, as more conferences announced, like what we're going to lose Texas and LSU and we're going to lose Alabama and USC and we're going to just a ton of games. However, I do think this is somewhat encouraging news because I know it no longer feels like everyone's got their head in the sand thinking that we're actually going to play football on September 5th and rather there's actually a plan now to have a fall season, which is what everyone wants compared to a spring season. There's a plan now to have a fall season. They just had to shorten it. Yeah. I, I don't know if I share that optimism in that way, Okay, but that, uh, no, that's fine. You think that it's still as the, the chances of a season happening right now are still as likely or unlikely as they were yesterday? I think the chances of the season happening now are much lower. And I'm not saying it's versus yesterday. I think these plans are on the table. But compared to a month ago, much lower. I think just the direction the country is going in has scared a lot of people around college athletics, and justifiably so. If it wasn't for money, I don't think you would be seeing these universities asking these players to play. And like that's something I, I cover the sport I wrestle with. But anyway, that's besides the point. Well, it's not besides the point, but the point is like, there's a reason why we kind of hit this part in the path. Like schools are trying to buy themselves more time by saying no non-conference games. They're trying to limit travel, all of which makes sense within conference. But like this decision wouldn't have been made 
if they had the opportunity to push it further and still have the like chance of playing 12 games, like this decision was made because a 12 game schedule seems unreasonable, which means college football as a whole in 2020 is less likely than it was essentially a month ago. Like it's great to have a plan on the table or at least a semblance of a plan on the table. It's great to have kind of an idea of what the schedule will look like. It's great to have a target kind of in mind for these schools and these coaches that are preparing. And I would love to talk to the, I would love to know how much film coaches have watched on non-conference opponents that's essentially getting thrown out the window because it's a lot of it. But like just as a whole, it's hard to be more optimistic today than I was yesterday simply because we're lopping off 20% of the college football season with kind of no return in sight of those games. And that's happening for a reason. You're probably right. I'm not more optimistic. I just think it's we all probably knew this was going to happen. I think getting ahead of it rather than us getting too late August and them saying, eh, I don't think we're going to play this week. I think, I think, all right, now let's, let's have a plan. Let's maybe improve the infrastructure. I don't know. I don't know. I'm bummed out now. I was going to ask you about the college football playoff. Let's pretend that happens a college football playoff. um, And let's pretend, you know, whether they keep it at four or expand to eight because they want to expand the season and the, and the window for TV. Not all conferences are created equal. What do you think will be different this year about what the committee is valuing in a playoff potential team? I think that's, that's a really interesting question. And it, I think it just depends on the committee member. I would hope the committee is going to lean on advanced metrics a little bit more to kind of understand how teams kind of compare and how they kind of compare each other, despite having very similar records or results, not, not, not all nine and O teams are created equal. We know that. And I realize people are going to wonder like, how do we compare an undefeated big 12 team with an undefeated sec team? when we don't see these teams play cross conference, but I don't ever really think that's the point unless they manage to play head to head, which of course has happened in years past with example, Oklahoma and Ohio state playing several times in important games. I believe Georgia, and Notre Dame have played uh, Georgia and Clemson. Those games provide a window for the conference, but they don't explain everything as a whole. What I would hope we're doing is we're looking at advanced stats and opponent-adjusted stats that kind of really tell you which teams are dominating and which teams are not. Because at the end of the day, you can tell a good... We knew Clemson was good last year, for example, despite the fact that they played in a crappy conference, and that's because they dominated people. Like We're going to have to see that maybe more than ever and our playoff participants, but it'll certainly be interesting to see how kind of regional biases and opponent biases kind of factor in because there's going to be, there's just going to be much less of a resume all across the board for people to kind of grapple with. And I would imagine the SEC is going to be at a pretty big advantage if we're in a conference only kind of lineup, because I think a seven and one or six and two Georgia might look just as good as a seven and one USC coming out of the back 12, for example. Yeah. And to your point, I think, a what have you done for me lately concept probably will be applied to potential teams, even if members don't want it to be like, again, you mentioned Clemson, even if they lost a game and everything else is pretty equal, like USC loses a game, Oklahoma loses a game. I, I think the committee is going to say, look, we know Clemson's good. And it's just going to be what happened last year, right? Like yeah, they, they, they had seen Clemson beat Alabama. They knew Clemson was was worthy of making the playoff. That's a great point. And they say they don't consider that, but human nature means you're going to look at those things. And when we have less information than ever, I think it'll be pretty easy to look at Alabama and go like, oh, this 7-1 and one Alabama team is just as good as whatever 
I don't know, undefeated. Utah. Yeah. yeah, Utah. What Pick your team. Like the eye test is going to tell you that and the talent on the roster is going to tell you that. And I think this might be a year where the eye test and kind of what your mind knows versus what your heart is telling you is going to matter more than ever. And I think the heart's probably going to win out in some of those cases. All right. Well, fingers crossed. Chris, thanks for joining us today on the College Football Daily. That's going to do it for a news-packed episode and just sort of surreal news as we sit down and discuss it. But I'm sure there's plenty more to come. Uh, Thanks, everybody. We'll see you on Monday for the next edition of the College Football Daily. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.